All right, this is The Nature of Things. This is a conversation between two friends in which we discuss, simply put, the nature of things. Uh, I am Tom, and I am sitting here in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am staring at my bedroom wall. Uh, Peter, are you over there? Yep, I'm here. I'm here in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and I am staring out my bedroom window. So, Very nice. How's the view? It's great. Yeah, you got a really pretty view of the mountains. Not bad. I'm jealous. Um, cool. Well, Peter and I have known each other for uh, a number of years now. We were um, roommates in college, um, so we know each other quite well, but uh, our adoring listening audience may not know us quite as well. So to kick things off before we dive into today's heady discussion, um, let's do a little icebreaker, get to know you type question. So Peter, uh, what icebreaker question do you have for us today? Um, so since it's the first one, let's just do the easiest. What's a fun fact about yourself? Sure. Okay. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, this is just the first thing that popped to mind. So I, I can't claim that it's the most interesting thing about myself, but I am right handed, but left footed, um, which people seem to think is really weird or interesting. At least I, uh, have played soccer all my life. So knew that I had a dominant left foot, but I write with my right hand. I play tennis with my right hand. Um, however, I do some things left-handed. I, I, I shoot pool left-handed, apparently, and hmm. I'm told that I am also left-eye dominant. Ah. So, like, if I'm shooting a gun, I will I will close my right eye and, and aim or sight with my left eye. Weird. Interesting. Huh. That's a, that's a cool fact. I actually yeah. don't think I knew that about you before, despite all this time that we've known each other. Go figure. Yeah, I mean, it's not something that one would be uh, showing off as a party trick or anything. It but, gives you, you the know. kung fu advantage, though. That's right. Yeah. Well, and um, the old left-right switcheroo. <laughs> precisely. Yeah. So that that's my fun fact. What about you? My fun fact is that according to the Wii Fit, I have perfect balance. Huh. Go figure. So so the Wii Fit. That's like the the white board that you stand on. Yeah, 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 exactly. The... the the old Nintendo game system where you stand on it and play bowling. Nice. According to that thing, yeah, my, my balance is impeccable. My family How... told me it was impossible, and they asked me to try it, and they, I was like, oh, that wasn't so hard. And you proved them wrong. <laughs> uh, do you think that that comes from your um, background in martial arts at all? Yeah, probably. I mean, we were always doing wacky stuff, doing the crane kicks, you know, showing the middle school bullies who's boss. So <laughs> That's right. The karate kid in Colorado. Bingo. So the nature of things, uh, since this is our, our pilot episode, our maiden voyage, um, as a general rule, what we'll do each episode is um, take some question, some specific question, and see how it turns into a more broad philosophical discussion about well, the nature of things. Um, so we will time ourselves and have 30 minutes or so to discuss the nature of things. Today's question, Peter, is should we make a podcast for our New Year's resolution? Well, I, th I think the answer is a resounding yes. Yeah, so Case far closed. so good. I think Bingo. I guess, I guess we're done here. All right, signing off. Thank you, adoring <laughs> yeah, fans. This has been the nature of things. So, so <laughs> more to the point, though, I, I think that the beginning of a year is a funny time because we seem to take our New Year's resolutions very seriously, but also not very seriously. I don't know if you've noticed this at all, but it seems to me that the sort of default posture for people is, well, I'm doing this New Year's resolution, but of course I'm going to give up in two weeks, so whatever well, it feels um, almost like a real life tv trope yeah exactly it's like we all kind of know that a new year's resolution is a little bit of a joke uh, and i guess my question was if we all agree on that then first of all why bother uh but also what is the point like why do we make new year's resolutions if they've just become kind of a running you know, punchline? Well, I guess, yeah, it's a good question. Um, so 
I mean, I guess there's just the humorous aspect of it, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe at some point in our culture, there was, uh, it was taken seriously, but now it's humorous. And so it's just a way to be able to participate in, in a sort of society wide joke with mm-hmm. everyone else. Mm-hmm. I, th- yeah, I think that I, could be at least part of it. Yeah, sure. And, and to go just a, a bit of a level deeper, um, what exactly about our human psychology makes us feel like each year, like at the beginning of each calendar, we need to fix or improve something about ourselves? Like what, what, what does that drive come from, do you think? It's hard to know. It, but you, don't, you see it not just with years, right? Like there's, you know, and since we're doing this live without research, I'm going to butcher these quotes. Go uh, for it. Tom knows that I'm no good at remembering quotes anyways. <laughs> But like, there's some quote by Abraham Lincoln where he's talking about how he doesn't much respect the man who isn't smarter today than he was yesterday. So right. it's not just that you know we want to improve every new year, but every sort of increment of time that we've chosen to measure, we want to feel like we're better than we were previously. Right. Yeah. There's kind of a consistent leveling up, something in our wiring tells us or is it in our is it and and that's another question is is it inherently in our wiring or is it something about the way we've structured our societies but regardless yeah there is something in the air or something in us that says you need to be better by whatever metric you're using tomorrow than you were today i mean yeah this this is in the water so to speak Mm -hmm. like and then people talk about you know being satisfied with what you have Right. But, and and being happy with yourself as you are. It's curious because that's that's the other side of the coin is they say, I guess they say, you know, oh, be happy with who you are. And it's like, well, what if you could be better? Right. You know, and, and to complicate that even further, I feel like sometimes our rhetoric around making progress and leveling up and improving is that we're doing so in order to reach contentment. Mm. Like if we keep doing this for a calendar year, for example, you know, if I lose this many pounds or if I write this many words a day, then 365 days from now, I will be better off and I will be more at peace. Right. Right. When I guess, I mean, this, this comes back to the question of, uh, like improvement, I think is, is linked to imagination. Because mm, elaborate. You have to imagine what you want to be like or what you want the world to be like. And then mm-hmm. say like, oh, okay, I think that would be a better state of things. I should go that direction. Whereas if you don't have any sort of imagination, then you just say, oh, this is the nature of things. This is the way <laughs> things are. Yeah. You know, we can't really, we don't go anywhere from here. This is how it is. Mm-hmm. And I guess there is that very fine line between complacency and contentment right because there is all sorts of chatter out there and and this is true across cultures and across religious faiths about being content with what you have you know counting your blessings or resting in the present circumstances or whatever it is right but it certainly is foolish to at any point say okay this is as good as it's going to get this is the way the world is yeah i guess the foolish foolish how because i think it, it it's just a little bit unrealistic right i mean you can look at a number of different things the world over and you could say this could be better i could run a faster mile or Uh, Fewer people in my community could be homeless or I could read more books and therefore become a kind of richer cultural citizen. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, that's all obviously true. Any of those things could happen. But why is it foolish to accept things just as they are and not Mm. strive for any of that? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question and and i don't know that i have an appropriate answer to that because oh yeah let's go with an inappropriate answer 
Yeah, sure. Well, because I think that, and maybe this is my own insecurity and, and belief in things like peer pressure, but um, is it not true that, that, that those people, and maybe this is a Western or American thing, would be perceived as um, lazy or, or perhaps on mm. the uh, flip side, almost privileged to a fault, like that they're mm. in a place where they can say, it's all good. I have no needs. I am perfectly content with what I have. And I know that's not, you don't have to reach mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. certain level of like material um, satisfaction. I'm sure there's like a, like a, there's a, there's a, a floor, but not a ceiling um, on right. contentment. But yeah. How, how do you kind of toe that line of, well, it sounds like you're saying that you have some kind of, uh, maybe I'll, I'll call it maybe a moral obligation to improve. Mm, okay. Either either to improve yourself or to improve your surroundings. Like, you know, you're talking about this idea of like, oh, you're you're privileged enough to say, I'm okay, I'm content. Right. And then, you know, an, an obvious counter like you're pointing out is like, well, what about the people who aren't okay? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what do we do for them? And so it sounds like, you know, maybe part of this this need to constantly improve is some kind of moral imperative. That is really interesting. And I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I was um very very timely doing some reading and the Atlantic had a, sometime around um January 1st during the first few days of this new year had republished a piece um that they had at the beginning of January 2018, so a couple years ago. And it was an interview with this um, psychology professor at Northeastern um, who had just published a book, so it was, you know, in some sense promotional. But they talk about why people's uh, New Year's resolutions fail. Mm. And this professor's thesis is basically that willpower alone, that sort of grit your teeth and keep pressing on, um, is actually counterproductive as much as we as a society kind of applaud that nose mm. to the grindstone mentality. It okay. actually doesn't do you any good because you're trying to change a desire of yours. Mm. And it's very easy for your mind to say, that desire is not that bad, right? So mm-hmm. eating less ice cream, for example. Mm-hmm. If you just sort of like grit your teeth and, and just pinch yourself every time you feel like you want to eat ice cream, you still want to eat ice cream. And you're, you're kind of rolling the rock up the hill without actually changing anything habitually about yourself. Mm-hmm. So this... Um, this professor has, instead of willpower, a, a proposal to kind of focus on what he calls social emotions. Okay. Um, and he basically suggests that resolutions uh, and therefore self-control, self-discipline, that sort of stuff that we associate with making a New Year's resolution, is actually a kind of social evolution survival tactic. Hmm. Um so I have this quote from him. It's, it's a little bit long, but he basically says, um, self-control arose to help us keep social relationships. So for millennia, that is what ensured survival, the ability to form cooperative relationships with people. To do that, you have to be fair, generous, honest. You have to have compassion and empathy. Um, so when, when you're willing to cooperate, you have to exercise self-control you're entering into some kind of um implicit social contract with someone which necessitates a compromise between you and that person you're Mm -hmm. saying we are um seeing each other and and meeting each other's needs in the middle right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. when you're cooperating with someone you're basically accepting a tiny sacrifice in that moment maybe you're not earning as much as you could or you're giving up some of your own free time um, you know, helping your friend move uh, to a new house when you don't really want to do that, right? Yeah, um, I hear what you're saying, but I, I already have a, a bunch of issues with this. Okay, go on. 
So, I mean, I think the first thing is that you don't need to you don't need to bring in other people just yet. Okay. Um, I think I think the need for self control arises long before other people show up. Um, Interesting. So, like, and and I think this this idea goes back to Aristotle, where you have a bunch of competing desires in yourself, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the desires have no ability to judge themselves. Right. Like in a, in the simplest case, you know, imagine that you're hungry and you're sleepy at the same time. Right. Should you go to bed or should you eat? Well, your hunger says you should eat and your tiredness says that you should go to bed. Mm-hmm. So how do you decide what to do? Like, right. Because those desires can't themselves, like they can't sort themselves out. They can't sort themselves out. You, some higher faculty of yours has to decide what's going to happen. And so maybe you say... Ah, uh, you know, I'm gonna stay up an extra hour, cook myself dinner, and then go to bed. Right. And so, and to me, that that's a that's a form of self control, mm-hmm. because you're saying, okay, well, if I delay the satisfaction of my tiredness, I'll be able to satisfy both hunger and tiredness. Yeah. Even though, I mean, and you're making the choice of of saying, no, I'm going to have one less hour of sleep, so maybe you don't fully satisfy right the but tiredness that's, impulse right and that's a sort of judgment that you're making mm-hmm. as to the relative value of satisfying each of these desires yeah and so i think long before any other people enter into the picture yeah you self-control to me means that you can sort of decide whether or not to satisfy any particular desire of yours that's interesting. And that yeah. you're, if, you, if there's a desire that you absolutely have to satisfy, then you don't have control over that. Right. And obviously the there's limits on this. You, know, yeah. you'll, you'll, you will starve eventually if you just continue not satisfying hunger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if there's some need, yeah, that you just can't, uh, if that need always wins, then you don't have control over that. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's that's really where self-control comes in long before you... I mean, I, I think he's talking about something similar when you're entering into some kind of cooperative agreement with someone else. Right. Where you like say, oh, yeah, you know, I'll give up my slightly better pay so that we can get this shared objective together. Mm-hmm. But I think it's not limited to social things. I think it happens within yourself. First, sure, and then sure. also within social things, right? Because it, it sort of flows naturally out of your own isolated individual needs by sheer virtue of the fact that it's impossible to avoid people. <laughs> like yeah, of you course, will of eventually course. enter into. I think that's interesting what you said about self-control in terms of using this analogy of um, hunger versus sleep, um, because in that scenario that you laid out, you still end up to some extent satisfying both of those needs, and and I think that. When we hear the term self-control, we oftentimes uh, conflate that with self-restriction, mm. as in we're taking something away, we're cutting some behavior off. Well, the opposite, um, right, of, of what I suggested is you could just go to bed hungry. If you're so tired, you're like, I don't have the energy to right to eat right now. I just need sleep. And so then you are cutting yourself off from the hunger, but mm. it doesn't feel like you're, it doesn't feel like this it that that to me doesn't bring to mind the same connotations as like self-restraint or, or restrictions right and and maybe it's because those are such uh urgent like life necessity needs that's why i um, think they're easy to talk about right right but i do think there's an interesting point there that when we think about self-control and so therefore when we think about new year's resolutions why is it typically construed as a kind of like negative um impulse a i need Mm. to stop doing this well i think there's i think there's there's a stop doing this but there's i think one of the most popular is i want to start going to the gym yeah true true um so i don't i don't think that the new year's is necessarily always always associated with like a a reduction yeah yeah but you would agree that when we hear the term self-control, we typically yes. think of... that's of a restraint. Being, yeah, yeah, which is interesting. 
because I think what you're suggesting is that self-control is more about, I guess you could, maybe a, a, a more appropriate term would be self-regulation. Mm, maybe, yeah. Where as long as you're not engaging in any like obviously unhealthy behavior that needs to be cut out, you know, like smoking cigarettes, right? Sure. That's just full on like self-restriction that needs to stop sort of thing. But if it's just behavior modification uh, among otherwise healthy things like going to the gym more often um, or reading more books, um, yeah, it's it's not about um, this kind of severe I need to discipline myself into cutting off some kind of impulse in me. I need to instead listen to the various desires in me and sort of um, build a kind of hierarchy of desires and right. have I some think, kind of... I think that's what it's always about because right. when you... Just for example, like, what's the what's the problem with not having self-control? Why is that mm. bad? Yeah, I mean... I think it's bad because it, it gets in the way of something that's more important. Right, like, so... If if a tendency to eat unhealthy food gets in the way of your long-term health mm -hmm. or a tendency to want to gossip gets in the way of like forming meaningful friendships. Yeah. You know, these are things where you're like, oh man, I would, I really actually, what I really desire is having a meaningful friendship. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's like... That's the desire I actually want to obtain. And this other desire of mine to like, you know, hear the newest hot goss is like... I love is, that hot goss. I'll, yeah, I'll no, be honest. It's, it's kind of fun, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's, but that's the thing, right? It's, it's a desire also. Mm. And so you have to balance that desire with a desire for something that you've judged to be greater. True. Yeah. And to get back to your point about the moral obligation that we sort of uh, spoke about a, a while ago, I, I do think it's important to note, too, that there are bad desires, right? Like, like mm. is there an argument to be made that all desires are inherently at least neutral, if not inherently good? Like, That's is there such a thing question. as a as a bad desire, you know, are you, um, simply exercising self-control or self-regulation because you need to reorder what is otherwise a series of good desires, you know? Hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, it's, it's, I mean, you were tricky. suggesting earlier that there were bad desires. So like, what is yeah. one of them? Well, I'm, you know, I, as I'm sort of thinking through that, myself i think that the only bad desires i can come up with are more just bastardizations of otherwise okay desires or okay. like or are okay desires but in excess like um, what like what's the so, bastardization part yeah so maybe it's a uh consumption of various substances smoking alcohol drugs that sort of thing. Sure. Like, I really, like, I'm not saying I, but in some hypothetical scenario, Joe really enjoys feeling tipsy on a Saturday night. Sure. It's a nice feeling. Yeah. A couple of drinks. Not inherently bad, but it's, it's that excess into drunkenness that mm. makes it bad. I guess it comes down to, can somebody actually have a desire to get drunk like can that can that work in your framework of this sort of hierarchy of desires that we're imagining in the framework of self-control like what if one of your desires is every saturday to just get wasted drunk so i guess the question is why is that a problem yeah I would imagine there's probably some health issues associated with that. Maybe sure, it sure. Your sleep. Okay. It probably also affects some interpersonal uh, relationships. Maybe you aren't on your best behavior when it comes to your friends and loved ones when you're 
stone drunk every weekend. Yeah, totally. Um, you probably become less reliable of a person. You probably make decisions that are not sort of rationally sound or at least sober-mindedly sound. And so to me, this sounds like you're saying that you should prefer all these other things. Yeah, to I think being so. drunk. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I think so. Yeah. And because it, And so but this is, this is this is interesting because this gets back to the the New Year's resolution thing and like right. the idea of, you know, where does this need to improve come from is and you know, and I think mm. this is related to imagination is like a should always comes from the imagination. Right. Of like, well this isn't the way things are, but this is the way they should be. Well, how right. did you come up with that? You imagined it. You imagined a future that is an improvement on the present. Right. And so the yeah. question now, when we talk about like, you know, going way earlier, when we're talking about like, do you have a moral obligation to try mm-hmm. to improve or improve the things around you? Is what if your definition of improve and my definition of improve don't line up? Yeah. If they conflict with one another. Right. That's so, interesting. So what then, you know? Right. Yeah. I do think that you are spot on in using this imagination as a way of improving the present because you can conceive of a better future. Um, This psychologist that I mentioned earlier, he talks a lot about like delayed gratification Hmm. and that, um, and this dips back into the um, person to person cooperative social contract waters but when you exercise self-control in the context of someone else and your relationship with that person you are essentially suppressing a present desire in order to imagine some better future Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I guess one could easily say from that well yeah I'm going to help my friend move this weekend even though I don't want to, because then he'll help me out sometime down the road. Mm-hmm. There's a like sort of self-centered way of imagining a better future and improving yourself, make it bad. One thing that I thought about as I was sort of considering this question in my mind is the notion of the good but selfish employee. So, Let's say that you have someone who makes it a New Year's resolution to um, get like a huge promotion in their job. And they work really hard. They're putting in overtime. They're meeting all of their deadlines and doing exemplary work. But they make no secret about the fact that they're just doing this to get a promotion because they want to be in a position of greater importance and they want more money. Yeah. Is that person a bad employee? Like, is that person somehow less because they've operated purely out of self-interest, even though it's resulted in positive behavior for the company? Yeah. I mean, I guess this, this, this is the like, one of the classic all-time questions of morality, right? Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I don't know. We can we can try to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> Is uh, that a topic for another episode? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I mean, so let's see, let's see where are we at now. So we're we're trying to figure out like where these New Year's resolutions come from, and we've sort of decided that it comes from this idea that. You shouldn't just accept the way things are because you have some kind of moral obligation to improve them. Mm-hmm. To improve something. To yeah. improve something. Maybe yourself, maybe your surroundings. Um, right. But just saying things are the way they are, this is the nature of things, seems to be insufficient. And thus, we mm-hmm. have things like New Year's resolutions. Right. So now the question is like, you want to improve something. Mm-hmm. We've decided that, that that's the case. And so now the question is your motive for deciding to improve it. Does that 
affect the moral imperative? Like, does that make it immoral somehow if you have bad motivations for wanting to improve things? Yeah, like if you do a, a so-called good deed as your imagining of a better future, but you do it for purely selfish reasons. Like, to use this example of the employee, right? I mean, this person could go as far to say, I don't care if this company ends up going belly up. I will have made more money and I will have a better title so that when I change jobs, I can get hired into a better position at that next company. But the work he's done to get to that point has still been a net positive for that business. I mean, this sounds a little bit like Ayn Rand's view of morality. Right. And here I'm really talking out of my ass because I've never read any Ayn Rand. Um, but this idea that... Give it a shot. Yeah, let's do it. There's, there's the idea that right there, like, even if you do a good deed, it's because you wanted to. Right. And so there's no such thing as altruism because if you want to help someone else and then do it, it's because that was what you most wanted. And so really you're just satisfying yourself. Right. So and it's so, still selfish. <laughs> and so it's still selfish. There's no way out of it. Um, and I think it's, it's kind of an interesting view because if there's no way out of it and then, and that's really the only thing you can do, then I guess it's settled. Like it doesn't really, right. Like there and, is no and, counterfactual. Yeah. And you kind of end up running yourself into the ground because the discussion stops right there and you have no kind of place to go you just say okay fine then i guess we're all selfish <laughs> yep yeah we're done you know it's like <laughs> and so that's always been an interesting argument to me because on the one hand it's obviously true yeah it, it, it's it's a little bit impossible to argue against because we can only ever operate out of our own minds <laughs> right and that's what and that's the thing it reminds me of is that you know on the other hand it's not useful like right like solipsism as a philosophy where it's like, you know, I can only prove my own existence. I can't know that anything else exists and that you're not all just figments of my imagination. It's like, well, yeah, you can't disprove that, but it's not useful. Once we go there, it's a dead end. Right. Yeah. It's, so, it's reductive to a fault almost. Right. It's while it's logically irrefutable, it doesn't let us answer any more interesting questions. I think there's there's some utility in maintaining a distinction between doing things for your own personal benefit and doing things for the benefit of others that would otherwise seem to be to your detriment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a nice distinction to just keep because yeah, because it lets us describe more interesting things and just go a little further down the road rather than just cut it off at everyone does what they want to do. Okay. Right, for sure. sure. Like, Yeah, exactly. And I think that there's a point to be made for the fact that, like, yes, we can logically agree that there's this Randian idea that everything is done in self-interest. Sure, okay, yep. fine. But we can also, within that framework, still say there are... Because um, if, if you mix in a little utilitarianism, a little like John Stuart Mill, you can say, okay, everyone's acting in their self-interest, but there are some acts within that framework that will still benefit more people, including yourself. Hmm. Right, right, right. So even if you are acting out of self-interest, th- right, there, there is still a hierarchy of choices. Right. If we, yeah, if we add that utilitarianism, we can start to you know weigh this act versus that act. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I think too that I'm, you know, it's, it's for me personally becomes an issue of my like faith background, right? Mm -hmm. That, um, the sort of Christian model on which I sort of base my philosophical framework is one of denial of self, right? Mm. And Okay. You can you can see Elaborate where Elaborate on that a little more. Yeah, okay. So, I think that a lot of let's get super practical before we get super um sort of heady. I think that a lot of my own problems 
come from uh, my own insecurities and um, questions about how to satisfy a certain desire or achieve some certain end. Okay. So the, like, pastor at our church calls these things future fear fantasies, right? Mm, Yeah, yeah. That... Also a part of the imagination. Right, exactly. That when I'm just thinking about myself, I run into trouble because I am kind of thinking, okay, how do I appear a certain way in front of people? How do I make sure that I'm as good a teacher as my other English faculty colleagues? How do I make sure that I am behaving in such a way that uh, my friends enjoy hanging out with me, right? Mm -hmm. And that those insecurities and those questions that you can, when you get kind of stuck in your own wheel spinning, those are the things that stress you out <laughs> and make you feel like you need to have a new year's resolution in the first yeah, place. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I need to be a better teacher this year. I need to, for me, you know, I need to get right. the research done. Right. Whereas if you do, and I will allow that it is probably impossible to do this to a 100% extent in our kind of human mortal framework, but you do, um, when you sort of, try to access someone else's headspace and their own and their desires you have less of that sort of insecure pointing back at yourself questions like if you just say Mm. i can do this good deed for this person because it will make them feel good there's not a whole lot of like insecurity psychologically that happens for me there right right if i can get into this headspace of self-regulation, like you were saying, and that kind of Aristotelian understanding of it, and say, yes, I do have free time, and I like my free time, but if I took an hour of it away and gave it to somebody else to, you know, help them move to a new house on a Saturday, that's going to make them feel good, and it's going to be helpful for them. So, You know, um, I'm I'm thinking about this now because there were some people yesterday who were moving who I didn't go help, because I had a bunch yeah. of errands to run. There you go. So, you know, there, there we have it. Sorry to make you feel guilty about that. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that's my bad. But, but so I think, that, <laughs> and the reason that I brought this into uh, my own faith background is because, of course, in, in, in the Christian faith, we have the person of Jesus to look, as, look to as the ultimate example of, like, self-denial, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, so this is interesting. The, this, is, this is an interesting line of thought because, you, you know, you're talking about, like, oh, if I go outside of myself to help this person out, like, then mm-hmm. I face a lot less of these insecurities. Right. But what if, what, if we were to, what if we bring this back to the beginning and we say, well, what if you don't try to improve at all? What if you just say, why be insecure? I'm secure right now. This is how I am. Mm. Why should I be yeah. any differently? Then, boom, you just you go straight for the insecurities at the root. Just say, why, why even be insecure? That sounds yeah. like a waste of time. I am who yeah. I am. But so that, yeah, and, and so again, you can look to that model of perfect contentment. I do wonder whether that's a very practical um, it seems hard approach. to achieve, right? Like, right. I yeah, think that's the second impossible. thing is, is we yeah. say, well, maybe, maybe let's ignore the moral imperative to improve for a second. Mm-hmm. How do you just be perfectly content with yourself? Right. <laughs> I think People spend a, very... a lot of time working on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I think on a very practical level, it's impossible because it's that it's that sort of treadmill that we were talking about way earlier in this conversation where okay I have to do something in order to achieve perfect contentment if I don't feel that way right now but I want to be perfectly content with how I am what do I have to do to feel that way Mm. and I think there's one answer to that which says just be content that's all you have to do yeah that's the one can you can you just do that like I I desire to be content therefore I am content. Is that is that like feasible? 
I, you know, I don't know. I think, I wonder if that's like, and, and, you know, here I'm really stepping out of my wheelhouse talking about class, <laughs> but like, is that what people refer to as, you know, being enlightened? Mm. Is that when, once you figure out how to do that, just say, I want to be content. Therefore I am content. Therefore I have no other desires. Right. And then you're done. Is that, is that what it means to be enlightened? Mm, that's very interesting. Because, like, I, I mean, it sounds like, and I agree with you on this, it's, this is not just like a trivial thing to achieve. Right. But if you read any of the, like, accounts of, like, some of these uh, Buddhas becoming enlightened, mm-hmm. you know, it's something as simple as, like, he asks his teacher, like, how to become enlightened, and he says, like, look at that bamboo. It is taller than the other bamboo. And then he became enlightened. You know, it's just like, it's some really trivial sounding thing where he's right. just like, see, this is, this is the way things are. That's all it is. And then when you get it, it's like, bam. Yeah. So it seems like on the one hand complicated, but on the other hand, like stupidly simple. Yeah. I think, I, I think there's a funny, like, this is the same coin. And if you just flipped it over, <laughs> you would see how simple it is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I also now wonder because we we've we've taken away the moral imperative right. for a moment. Right. If I sit here and have a discussion about someone who is able to achieve this kind of perfect enlightenment state where he looks around him and he says I'm good. Yeah. I am at peace. I am content. Yeah. That is true for himself in a solipsistic kind of way. Right. But is that true for the world around him? Mm. I have to assume no. Like, right. And, you know, enlightenment think, for one doesn't equal enlightenment for all, you know? Right. And so I think there's, you know, again, this is based on my limited understandings, but I think this sure. idea shows up in Buddhism where they say, you know, uh, you, you reach enlightenment and then you sort of have a choice. You uh-huh. can either just like, kind of jam out and be like, yeah, I'm an enlightened word. And then you sort of drop out of this cycle of reincarnation. Or mm-hmm. you have a second choice, which is to sort of say, well, now my job is to try to help other people become enlightened. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So like, I, I think there is, there's definitely an acknowledgement, at least in, in these sort of religious cultural traditions that yeah, once you hit that yourself, it didn't like fix, not everyone else is there. Right. Right. And so, and you know, this is, this is something I'm not sure on at all is like in that tradition, how much of an obligation is there Mm. to, to help other people reach this enlightened state or is it really just a choice where you just say, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to pick this one. Right. And how do you I'm, know which one to pick if you've already eliminated your desires? Like why would right. you if, desire if to help other people? Yeah. If you're already enlightened and that suggests that you have no other desires, which means that you don't have a desire to help others. Right. And so which, why would you pick to help others if you don't have that desire? Right. So that's that's confusing to me. That feels a little disingenuous to me too, because that can kind of harken back to that Randian sort of objectivist approach, which is just like, yep, it's, I'm selfish. Everything I do is acted out of self-interest and I have achieved this kind of nirvana where I've looked around me and said, I am content. Mm. And yet, we know that there's still so much like brokenness to fix in the world, even if one person seems to arrive at some point where he thinks he's enlightened, right? Oh, no, totally. And so, I mean, this, again, right, if if we maybe did some homework on this, we could probably figure it out. Sure. Uh, What the, the sort of traditional... Buddhist answer to this question is because I'm sure this question has come up. 
Oh yeah, um. <laughs> I, I fully acknowledge that here on the nature of things, we are not the first people asking these questions. Oh yeah, I think we're mostly just bullshitting and uh, <laughs> having a good time. Hey, at least we're waxing fun, philosophical. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's once you let's see if I can let's see if I can phrase this right. Why is it bad to be self-centered? Right, I think that's what we're driving at. Interesting. Right, it's like, you know, this this idea, like, I've looked at the world, and I see how it is, and I accept that, mm-hmm. and I'm content. Why is that a worse option than helping other people? Yeah. Right, I mean, that's not the... Not resting until the injustice is, is... Is fixed. Fixed, yeah. You know, and so that's... Uh, I'm, you know, I'm also coming from a, a Christian spiritual tradition. And right. so, you know, that has heavily influenced my morality that says you do have an obligation to do that. Why right. do you have an obligation to do that? Because that's what's right. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's tautological in that sense. Right. It is the thing to do because it is the thing to do. Yeah. You know, and, and if it weren't, it wouldn't be. Right. And that comes to a (laughs) decent place to um, wrap up our discussion of this particular aspect of the nature of things, because I do think we've hit a point where we're saying to ourselves, it is kind of a mystery, right? We can't exactly put our finger on why, but we don't believe it's right, right to strive only for your own individual enlightenment or contentment. Without right. bringing others along or without sharing that with other people. Right. So let's let's recap from the beginning then. How yeah. we started with, you know, should we make a podcast for our New Year's resolution? Obviously, yes. We feel like we have a moral obligation to bring our silly philosophical musings to the masses. Right. Um, they demand it. They demand it. <laughs> I wonder if anyone's ever going to listen to this. And I want to keep that in. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's that's not getting edited out for sure. When they crack open the time capsule, however many centuries from now, they'll listen to this and say, man, these guys guys were were, way off. They were idiots. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we've got got that, you know, we're making a podcast for New Year's. Great. And then, you know, we kind of said that we have some sort of obligation to... Uh, improve ourselves or mm-hmm. or you know improve ourselves or the things around us or we could take the opposite track where we just say I am content right those are sort of the two options that you're presented with um, yeah. I guess there's a third option that we didn't discuss which is the negative option of like I should try to make things worse <laughs> um, maybe a True. curious topic for another why don't we decide to just make things worse? Could be could be good for another episode. The entropic approach. Yeah, acceleration of entropy. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's you know we've got the neutral approach of like I'm content, and then the positive approach of like I should make other things better. Right. So it seems like we're we're sort of stuck between those two, mm-hmm. um, and so that naturally, if you take the positive one, we would want to just measure it in whatever arbitrary time markers we have. Yeah. Because I think we as humans, for whatever reason, our sort of DNA necessitates us uh, having markers of progress. Um, Right. I mean, it it probably in part comes from the fact that we were um, subject to the changing of seasons with uh, agriculture and that sort of thing. But They're natural rhythms that we can observe. Exactly. I mean, we wake up, we go to sleep that sort of thing. We understand our life in In chapters. Yeah. Yeah. And within that, that's the other interesting thing is because if we reach that point of perfect contentment, then there doesn't seem to be any need for time. No, that's a curious, that's, that's, that's a very interesting point. Right. Uh, so maybe maybe there's something in us. The reason that we conceive of time is because we know somewhere in our genetic wiring that we need to be 
using that time to improve things. Mm. Not in some kind of endless, because I do think it can become counterproductive if you run yourself into the ground, which is why I think that we have lassoed in this moral imperative to involve other people in your um, right progression. Because otherwise, again, aside from the fact that we just have natural rhythms of seasons and waking and sleeping and that sort of, and aging. But otherwise, if, if we are able to achieve some kind of solipsistic, self-centered enlightenment, then why would we need time? And why would we need mm. to measure progress by time? Hmm. Right, 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 right. So th- this, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's necessarily a temporal aspect to improvement in a yes. way that there isn't for contentment. Right. Contentment right. seems eternal, but improvement needs time. Right. And since we only know how to live in time, then we need that, to be improving. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting. That suggests to me that, and, and this is again, I'm thinking, okay, from my faith background, I'm saying, okay, my creator gave me a hardwired sense of time hmm. because he built in me this uh, desire or understanding that it is up to me to improve things, whether right. it's creation or people with this time that I can't escape as like an understanding of how life is. Right, right, right. And that's something that, you know, we seems very innate, but maybe that also offers us a hint at to how you might go towards something like enlightenment. Oh, go on. By by trying to focus on things that are like eternal and unchanging. Interesting. And And that's where contentment comes from because, like we've said, you know, contentment doesn't necessarily have a temporal aspect. Yeah. And so yeah. maybe that's a way towards God or a way towards enlightenment or, yeah. you know, just that's an interest. It's an interesting insight. And I, you know, I'd never thought of that before. Of like, if we try to move away from time, do you naturally move towards this other solipsistic, uh, not using it now as a bad word, just as right. a descriptor, but yeah. you naturally move towards that sort of content uh, existence. That's interesting. So we should we should strive to focus on things eternal, but in the meantime, if we do come up with a New Year's resolution, it should be one that helps other people out. Mm. Yeah, interesting. interesting. <laughs> you know, there's a lot to unpack here. I'm gonna probably yeah. have to listen to this again uh, and take some. <laughs> Hopefully, notes on. some other people will too. Yeah, maybe someday. Yeah, uh, eh, let's not get our hopes up. Yeah, right. Well, uh, cool. Here we yeah. are. We have discussed the nature of human progress as measured by time. And I am Tom, and I am right-handed but left-footed. And I'm Peter, and my balance is perfect according to a video game. So thank you guys for listening. And this is the pilot episode of The Nature of Things. <laughs> <laughs>